In the beginning, there was the word, and the word was Toby Haydock, but no one knew how to pronounce it. My next victim has just finished a slice of homemade ginger cake, so I'm going to ask him who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Uh, my name is Dan Starkey, and I play the Sontarans, and specifically Commander Strax in the new series of Doctor Who. Well, Dan, thank you, first of all, for agreeing to do this. Um, but I hoped you would, because we've been friendly since we did a big finish uh, together, and we've sort of kept in touch now and again. Um, and you sent me a very kind um, internet message when I was poorly. And, uh, but also part of that is because the fact is, Dan, it has to be admitted, you are one of us. Yes, I am one of the, the we, not the not we. <laughs> That's a grammatically challenging sentence, but uh, I think uh, people understand what I mean by that. Yeah. Uh, so when, when did you fall in love with Doctor Who? I think uh, I first started watching it when I was very, very small. I must have been about um, three or four or so when I remember so like... I think Full Circle is uh, the first story that I remember images from. So I must have been really quite... Yeah, I must have been about three or four then. And so the first big thing which I remember was Tom Baker turning into Peter Davison. And, um, and then there was a repeat season called The Five Faces of Doctor Who, which I saw when I was... must have been on when I was about five or so, which absolutely suckered me. And watching things like An Unearthly Child and sort of, I think, The Crotons and, uh, and a couple of stories like that. Um, and it was just the idea that you had one character who was... Many different people was just very, very exciting. And then, yeah, that first, watching all Peter Davison's episodes when I was, you know, five or six years old, it was absolutely real. It was like a documentary. It was terribly exciting and uh, sucking me from then on, really. Um, and I was hugely into it when I was, when, when, when it was on television until about 1989. And that was my first year of secondary school when I finished. And then, and then after that, uh, there were other things I was interested in as well. So I wasn't exclusively obsessed with Doctor Who like I was when I was a kid. But, um... But it was, uh, yeah, and I've dipped into it ever since, and now I make a partial living out of it, which is very nice too. Well, so that must have been extremely um, exciting when, you know, it's exciting to get an audition, frankly, nowadays, though little is being made. But you get an audition and it's for Doctor Who. Uh, that must have, or Christmases must have come at once. No, absolutely. I was I scraped myself off the ceiling. Um, I, I'd given my agent a prod um, a couple of weeks before, just just really, you know, one of those kind of like uh, rallying things. So I, right, I've really got to be more proactive, and so like, I'll have a word to my agent about uh, about about things that I want to do. And so number one on my list was kind of like I'd really love to be in Doctor Who, and I thought you know my agent hadn't got me that many sort of television meetings, but I thought oh, I can just say it. And it must have coincided with when uh, they. They wanted uh, to bring the Sontarans back, which is quite fortuitous because I'm five foot two, and I think they were looking for actors in that kind of height range. And so, yeah, I got a meeting for it, which was uh, over a smaller pool of talent to draw from. And um, and yeah, I excuse me, ginger cake is repeating on me. It's um, it was great because I went to I went to the meeting and they sort of asked Andy Riley, who's the uh, it was the casting assistant Austin Lift so so do you watch the series uh, are you a fan at all and I went uh, yeah just a bit and um, and then it emerged during the course of the interview that I, I, I knew my stuff about Sontarans and also that I could act too so both sides of the equation were sort of uh, were sort of filled mm. but is is there a dilemma uh, 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 because you know 
yeah, if you go up for Holby City and they say, do you watch the series? You go, oh, yes, when I can. Um, and you say that because you don't want them to think you don't care about the show. But is there not that other dynamic with Doctor Who particularly, that if your fanboy shines through too much, they go, oh, we've got to write one here. No, well, quite not. I mean, I, I was quite conscious of, uh, of not letting it bubble over too much. Um, and so the first read I did of the... Uh, I mean, I learned a scene from the script. And the first read I gave was quite straight, just to show I am a proper actor, I can actually do acting, or whatever. And um, they went, okay, yeah, great, yeah, we love the emotions that you showed, you know, you sort of got good sense out of the text and whatever, yeah. Um, But could you just be a bit more, um, how do I put it, alien with it? And I went, right, okay, how far can I possibly take this? (laughs) And, um, and, uh... And yeah, so the next the next one, I sort of I turned it. Didn't quite turn up to eleven, but it was much more of a case of like foolish human, you know. Excellent. Or I gave it to I turned up the uh, turned up the meter <laughs> as nice. far as as much as I was able to without any prosthetics. But uh, it was quite weird actually thinking about it because obviously with, with television auditions, unlike unlike theatre ones, you try and you try and give a flavour of the character you're going up for. I mean, if it's something like an advert, you try and dress as much as like the advert as possible, and you jump around like a performing monkey. Um, Obviously, when you're up for a Sontaran, it's rather difficult to reproduce that unless you turn up in a full-on self-made costume and then you <laughs> run the risk of looking like a complete fanboy. So I remember wearing kind of... Just trying to dress like a, an off-duty military chap. So a slightly sort of checkered shirt and a blue sort of blazery jacket and sort of cord trousers. So basically, a smart casual and a kind of... a Officery kind of way. That was that was that was, that was my sort of like thought. So like uh, going into it, but yeah, if I go this kind of like slightly military demeanour, then that will sort of that will come across. Well, it was a, and it was a question. Um, I don't know if you were in when I was speaking to S- Simon at this point. Simon Fisher Becker, who is obviously a certain size. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so, as you say, there's a pool of talent that you know that is. Do, so, do you have the same? Do you see the same old faces at auditions? And is there a rivalry? <laughs> um, I think actually, I, I, my, one, of, one of my previous agents used to put me up for lots of musical theatre things, which I was terrible at. And there was a pool of sort of like a, of basically short men that I used to sort of see <laughs> at these various god awful meetings, where it's, it's, it was one of these awful things where you sort of um, you kind of uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a big room. Sometimes, uh, just be, not, not that I've got anything against musicals. It's just it's not necessarily where my talent first lies. And I would turn up for these kind of like big um, open. First of all, you sort of have one round where you've got to sing a song. It's fine. I can you know, hold a tune. It's fine. But then there will be a, a movement audition, which is a terrible thing because although I did, I did. My drama school was quite heavy on dance, but I don't have a natural talent for it exactly. But you'd find yourself in a in a room. Um, with about 40 other people, some of whom are kind of trained dancers, some of whom are like musical theatre actors, and some of whom are kind of like just, just normal actors. <laughs> and um, they say at the start, no, no don't worry, it's, we're not assessing you on your ability to learn choreography, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 just a, it's just a chance for us, to, for, for us to see what you've got and sort of see what you'll bring to something. And then they'll teach you a dance routine, you know, in about sort of 20 steps or so, and oh, 20 bars of 20 bars of dance and um, 
And yeah, if you're like me, it's just excruciating because mm. <laughs> you just hear the sub soundtrack, and I can remember at one step in five, and you're jumping around like Quasimodo. And first of all, the, you'll do it with someone in front of you reminding you of the steps, and then they'll take the people away, and then you're up there in groups of five. Kind of, uh, I haven't done one of these for ages, so I'm very, very glad. But at those sorts of occasions, I would see sort of like a group of about five or six sort of actors about of about my height. Who'll be there and just goes, Oh, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what, oh, I've been up for one of the Hobbits in the Lord of the Rings musical. Oh, right, yes. Um, thankfully, those days are, 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 are more, are less frequent now. So, um. well, and that's that's because you've you've cropped up a lot in the Doctor Who universe. And I, sometimes having worked with you, I fear we are in danger of undermining uh, an aspect of your performance skill that I picked up on when I did a couple of big finishes with you and I was extremely impressed with your vocal range and you're a very good mimic so when did you discover that you could do that? Um, I think all my my dad is certainly a very good mimic and I think it's probably something I, I, I inherited from him you know, my dad being, doing silly voices was something that was, it was just normal normal to do um, and I've always yeah just been good at picking up accents and that sort of thing I also studied lots of languages at school and sort of like bits of linguistics so I could sort of like break it down technically and then obviously when I was at drama school I Learned phonetics, so you can learn to speak like a native if you need to, um, which which you know gives you not just you know so it's it's not just having a good ear, it's also being able to break things down analytically, so you can actually remind yourself, you know that okay this this accent has got this feature or whatever um, to, um, to 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 reproduce. Um, so it's, it's it's a combination of all those things, but yeah, I've just had a knack for it, and and also um, I was on I mean also before we worked on Big Finish together, I was also on the. Um, the radio drama company of the BBC for nine months, and again, that's that's the sort of thing where you know you don't solely get employed on your versatility, but it's a very useful thing to have if you can you know do lots of accents and have lots of different vocal qualities, and also crucially, as with loads of things of acting, you've just got the chance to do it. Mm. You learn on the job because so much of this job is actually sort of like is actually learning as you learning as you work, and you know unfortunately lots of you know sort of lots of very good people who I train with so I didn't quite have the chance to sort of. Uh, to, to like to to carry on working and to like just just learn things as they go and keep 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 their tools sharp. I think is the mm. is a nonsy phrase yeah. which people use. But um, but yeah, so I so I had that whole thing of um, nine months on the radio rep. I created, I, I sort of uh, I got known as um, oh right Dan yeah you, you you can do foreign accents can you do an Eskimo and it's like well <laughs> mm, I'll, I'll see and they'll just like go away but you know because I'm I'm quite I'm quite geeky and meticulous about these things so I go away and so like look up you know a, a Romanian accent or whatever and so like okay see what I can do but um, when I actually yeah it's uh, some, so sometimes it's about fulfilling someone's expectation of what a a Romanian accent, for example, will sound like rather than actually going away and researching something, which mm-hmm. sounds so. Actually, they want a kind of, they want a Vlad Dracula impression rather than some something which is, some East European but yet romance. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so when you approach something like um, a Sontaran, I guess you have a, 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 a blank canvas, unless as a Doctor Who fan you're influenced by what's gone before. You could have gone all Derek Deadman on us and talked about the Sontarans. Oh yeah, I will duff you up something chronic, <laughs> time, Lord. Yeah. No, that's not exactly. <laughs> yes, I've never seen all of the Invasion of Time, um, and I remember seeing clips of it on YouTube and thinking, "Okay, it looked better in my head when I read the Target <laughs> novelisation when I was a kid." <laughs> you know, the budget in my imagination was slightly higher, <laughs> I think. But um, no, I mean, when I when I first went to the first audition, um, I watched the Time Warrior again, and that's the one which I used as the the Locus Classicus of uh, of the Santarans. You know, with 
with Kevin Lindsay. Um, I mean, also, it's <laughs> as a voice to do over the course of a day. It's really down there and it's really quite raspy, so... Uh, that's why I take along to like a bottle of cough mixture to make sure that I don't um, I don't expire before the uh, before the end of the session because it does it does yeah it's it's quite it's quite a it's quite vocally challenging to uh, to stay stay after a while. And Lindsay's accent's curious because he was an Australian. Yes, so he's and you can hear emphasizing his accent, isn't it? Yes, it's got a twang to it. It has got a twang, and, and it's interesting because I've listened to it quite a lot of times just trying to hear that Australian thing. But it's a very colonial received pronunciation. It's it's like a real proper. Because it's clearly very proper, but it's also got a slightly... If you push in a certain way, you could sort of see how it kind of had, had yeah. an Australian twang to it. But you can sort of see how... Like, I suppose like the South African accent is, you know, there's, there's Australian aspects of it, but it's also that, that quite, quite a heightened received pronunciation thing where it's all very, very flat in the front of the mouth like that. So, it's, um, so yeah, but you can basically push it in different directions and it, uh, and it sort of goes... Yeah, it, it, it alters. <laughs> and so how much discussion did you... Because uh, you and Christopher Ryan were the... Oh, uh, quick geeky things. After you get killed, there's another Sontaran who has a line that he says, is that you? It's the, to Christopher Ryan. He's, I think he's under a helmet. And I, yeah, I... nobody th- credited as doing it. And I've always thought... Oh, it might have... I think I might have done that as a bit of ADR. I right. think... Because there was another character called Scree. Yeah. It's quite a good joke in that script, which I think they had to cut out through... Cut through um, because of timing, where... Uh, I am Stahl, the undefeated. I am Score, the bloodbringer. I am Stahl, the analyst. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think they have to chop that out. I hope, I hope the BBC won't sue me. But, um, but uh, <laughs> Scree, the analyst, that was it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I, th- I might have done ADR on that. But I think there was, it was either me or there was another guy. But, um, and did you and Christopher Ryan get to sort of knock, knock heads, hit potatoes, to, um, <laughs> to work out how you were going to... Um, play these characters physically and vocally and all that sort of thing? I suppose we had the read-through where, um, you know, we listened to each other's performance who were probably influenced by that. And I think Chris, you know, said when we were having a chat, you know, when we first met, it's like that he'd watched all the old episodes, so I thought, okay, he's probably doing a similar thing that I am. And so we kind of probably met a point of accommodation. I mean, obviously he had more to do in that episode, so um, he was... I mean, with that one... I think Douglas, the director, Douglas McKinnon, the director, he was quite keen that sort of scores should just sound quite normal, that sort of he should just be quite efficient. And so, I mean, the first scene that we recorded, that we filmed, was um, me me chaining um, Freema to the table um, in the clone factory, which was, you know, as a first day, first day, my very first telly job, just being a, being a monster, chaining the doctor's assistant to a table, that's, that's pretty bloody good <laughs> as, a, as, a, as, a way to, uh, as a way to start the first day. It was quite overwhelming. Um, and that was your first but telly? That was my first telly, yes. Um, so that, 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 that was great. But um, all the time, the, sort of the note which comes up was like, do it, say, say it faster, just say it faster, do it faster. So by the end of it, it's like it, was, it probably wasn't the kind of, it wasn't the vocal performance that I was thinking I was going to give, which I've had much more with Strax, I think, because I've had more of a chance to, like, to mould that character to, 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 to what I wanted to do with it. Sure. The fact that they invited me back you know, a couple of times means that, you know, means that they like what I was doing, so, that's, yeah. so that was good. Um, and were you tempted to, because we all know that David Tennant was a Doctor Who fan playing Doctor Who, is there a temptation, you know, during a break of filming, go, uh, uh, you know, Harry, Mr Tennant, yeah, if, uh, yeah. if you like the Android guitar? I, I think I did, I think I was saying behind him in the lunch queue, I did sort of like say something about, sort of, uh, oh yeah, it looked different from how we did the Invasion of Time, I think he was talking to somebody else. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. 
Uh, or I think you might have slightly just have looked at it a little bit and went, yes, you, you know your stuff, don't you? Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. Because, <laughs> of course, it's not, it's not the same nowadays, is it? It's the document <clears throat> that we used to read about. You do, you do the read-through, but there's no, there's no process beyond... Oh, there's no, there's the no three weeks of blocking in, so uh-huh. like a, in a warehouse in Acton. No, not at all. It's, 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 very, it's very quick. And so, you know, the director is... The director is the first port of call in terms of anyone talking to you about your performance. But aside from that, everybody else on set, you know, there's yes, about 50 people, all of whom have very specific responsibilities. They all need to discharge. And so, yeah, you're just one part of that. Excuse me. You're just one part of that uh, wider process, really. Um, and I guess, you know, acting ability is one thing, but also efficiency is another. And if you're yeah. doing a big action scene, if it's mucked up because of you, you're not going to be yes. particularly... Yeah, no, absolutely. Popular. Yeah, and it was and it was kind of getting used to the to the grammar of it, the grammar of filming. And I think over the past year or so, when I've been doing Wizards vs Aliens, and then I've been doing, you know, sort of Doctor Who again with the Christmas special and that sort of thing, and, and now I'm back doing Wizards vs Aliens again. I, I actually understand the process a lot better than I probably did the first time I was doing it, where it's mm. a bit kind of you know we had a bit of training in television from at drama school, and obviously you sort of can go off and read about how it's meant to work, but that doesn't. Yeah, not that won't necessarily prepare you for some of the actual realities of being on a set and sort of working out what your responsibility is. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you try and go in there and do there as good a job as you can, but sometimes, I think, I think also it's it's the question of being on set and being in the Santaran outfit just means that my hearing and peripheral vision is knocked out as well. So that's another thing which gets it makes it slightly more difficult to negotiate um, in terms of, you know, building a personal relationship with people on set, but also just being aware of how you fit into things. Sure. You know, because if you're trying to look around for where the camera is and you, but you can't move your head, it's kind of, <laughs> it's slightly tricky. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yeah. you and yeah. Christopher Ryan were the only two that had... Potatoes. Yes. Everyone else was just in yes. helmets, of course. Yes, yes. We had our extraordinary Santaran horde, who were who were a great, a great bunch. But it was, I think, I think um, when they get a horde of aliens, I think it's relatively easy to get a group of uh, artists who are going to be between five foot ten and six foot two or something, for example, or you know over six foot. I think having a lot who were between four foot eleven and five foot four, I think is a bit more of a. It's a bit more unusual than ask in terms of um, casting-wise, and so we had had such a range of, of, of fellows because there were twelve of a platoon of twelve, I think, and two of them were sort of were movement artists who you know who clearly had done lots of movement work and so they could take a physical note or whatever. I think one guy was the accountant ah. from, from the backroom accountant from one part of the BBC who clearly they put everyone there was oh do you want to be an episode oh yeah I spoke so and. Uh, <laughs> Who was just, you know, a nice chap, was just, just a little bit bemused by it all. <laughs> and then uh, lots, of, lots of other guys who... I mean, the point is that you can get... If everyone is, a kind of, you know, between five foot ten and six foot uh, average size, it's easy to... Because there's a wider pool of talent, again, to draw from, you can get people who are more of the same, same shape. Mm. Again, because there are fewer people. We had an extraordinary range of shapes and sizes. You know, Chris Ryan is sort of five foot tall, and he's a very sort of... Um, he's very slim. Um, I'm five foot two and a half, and I'm I'm not slim. <laughs> um, there was one guy who was four foot eleven, and absolutely sort of, you know, it's sort of just a sort of tiny little man with quite big shoulders. And there was another guy who was kind of like you know, again, very the size of the frame was completely different. But all the all the suits had been cast to Chris Ryan's body, um, and he's quite a specific shape. So it was kind of like a one size fits all costume that was kind of quite interesting to fight fight your way into, really. And obviously the prosthetics guys were very good in terms of like fitting you up. Um, into, into the outfit, but it was, yeah, it was just uh, such a such a strange, strange, strange group of people. I mean, having been taught, 
being talked to March one afternoon. March and so there was one bit where we, we sort of like did our little sort of uh, sort of Rourke's drift, so like all kneeling down with this like a sort of formation shooting type of thing, and just learning that as a bit of choreography. That that took an afternoon, which was. And did quite you funny. know that one of your um, band of Santaran brothers was one of the children from the Mind Robber? Oh, who who was that? Christopher Reynolds, one of the Reynolds brothers. I found him. On oh casting gosh, show. okay. Uh, yes, now that, that does ring a bell. Now, yes, I'd forgotten that completely. So there's yes. fact, fans. I think he, I think he did mention it. Yes. Um, yeah. And then you would think you're dead. Um, and then David Tennant takes quite a long time to die. And, uh, <laughs> a, yes. Dur- during yes. his epic, it's the end. But first, I'm going to queue yes. for somebody's autograph. He manages mm. to um, uh, rescue uh, Mickey and uh, Freema yes. um, from. Your Mickey side. and yeah, yes. Mickey and so Commander Jask. Well, I think my agent again. That was, that was a very short notice thing, but I think they were trying to sort of like do those sorts of things based on people's availability. I think Freeman was very busy filming something else, and Noel was probably very, very busy too. So I wasn't sure they weren't sure whether they could do it. So, I mean, I just got that two lines worth of scene on a Saturday morning, and I went in, did it. David knocked me out, and then I went out again. So it was just a nice little, nice little thing to do. But it was, it, you know, the, the rest of the script. I saw the shooting schedule, so I could sort of see. Oh, okay, yeah, I can sort of see where this fits in. But um, as to my contribution to that one, it was, it was a bit more. <laughs> yes, it was a bit smaller. But I was quite pleased actually because in the first in the Santaran stratagem, one thing which I pointed out was um, was uh, one thing which I found myself doing because obviously uh, in the Time Warrior, there's the the great first moment um, when uh, he removes his helmet, and uh, you see this horrible Batrachian tongue emerging from the Santaran lips and going like a toad um, I just found myself <laughs> giving a lot of involuntary tongue action <laughs> so, so I'd be walking I'm thinking you know the Santaran they can probably taste the air they can taste blood and taste battle and that sort of thing you know thinking you know thinking if they've, they've got heightened senses or whatever and there was be all those scenes where I'm just like running up and down the warehouse shooting unit soldiers I was like I didn't realise I was going like, with kind of like um, with with this with this waving tongue, and Douglas would like go, okay, okay now we're going to go again. Just just lose the tongue. It's fine, but just just n- no more with with this. <laughs> and then I was quite pleased because um, at least with that bit, um, with uh, when when I was yeah you know, when before David knocked me out with the with the mallet, um, it did say specifically in stage directions he licks his lips in anticipation. I thought. Ah. I don't know if I had contributed towards that or reminded them that the Sondarans do a nasty tongue thing, but um, I think yeah. I think we can give you the credit yeah. for that. Yeah, obviously. Um, so you were, that was nice to be reminded that yes, just because you're dead, it doesn't mean you can't come yes. back. Yes, yes, yes. Especially a clone group. race, yeah. Uh, and yeah. especially a clone race. Indeed. Yes. Um, so then, but then <clears> you came back in a way that I guess you couldn't possibly have imagined. No, absolutely, no, no, no. Well, after um, I mean, after um, the end of time, that was. After the end of time, because that was such a little cameo, I thought, you know, I didn't. I try not to get too excited because, oh, great, I'm doing Doctor Who again, but you know, it might be just a little, another little sort of, you know, standing. And also, I'd seen Chris Ryan's little sort of cameo in, um, in the Pandora Opens, yeah. um, and I thought, okay, well, I won't get too excited. And then I got the script through for A Good Man Goes to War, you know, just the day before the read through. I thought, this is great. This is a, you know, it's 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 not just a Santaran. It's a character. It's an ally of the Doctor. That's a nice spin on the Santarans we haven't seen before. It's not just the idea that they're a monolithic race of baddies. It's actually an individual mm. within them. And also, it's lots of jokes that I know I can deliver well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they're, they're, they're because they're you know very nicely written, and it's just kind of yeah, I know I know how to do that. So That's that great. was not you were offered that that part. Yes, no, I was I was great. offered back to Strax, Strax yeah. Because, you know, they've got the Santaran and Susan, if it's... No, don't do yourself, Dan. No, no, no. So obviously uh... you had fine comic timing. Yes. And um, well. there's this new... Um, 
hitherto untapped comedy motif yes. of the Sontarans, which makes perfect sense to the characters as we know them. Yes. That yeah, his yeah. first reaction is, and that the deadpan way in which you say, well done, and the next time I shall see you, I shall destroy you and eat your family. I mean, yes. that must have been hilarious. No, fun. it's great, because it, it all makes sense within the, within the writing. It's kind of, um, he's a very well brought up, polite Sontaran. You know, he, he gets all the usual pleasantries. You know, I look forward to crippling you at some point. <laughs> you know, it's all those, it's all those kind of, um, Yes, his skewed within his uh, skewed value system. He's actually he's, he's quite a nice guy, Strax, really. Uh, but he dies. Yes, he yes, we we think he does. Uh, and you must have then thought, well, that was nice, but that's it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, obviously, Doctor Who is Doctor Who, so um, <laughs> never say never again. It was a. And so, had they did they give you an inkling that you? Might no, remember? no, it's great. I made it and said, okay, it's it's you playing Strax again, and I went right. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm dead, but that's that's fine by me. And then because we were filmed actually the new series out of sequence. So the first episode that we filmed was um, the Crimson Horror, and yeah, and then I was kind of going, okay, so Strax is alive then, is he? And at the read through, Mark Gatiss and sort of like Stephen Mock went, yeah, it's fine. It's, don't worry, it sort of will be explained. We'll explain later. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but you, but you are alive. Okay, is, it, how does he feel about this? Yeah, he's okay with it. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and then we did the Christmas special after that one, um, or within it. I can't remember. It was rather, it was rather confusing. But there is a little DVD extra, which again hasn't been released yet, which does explain sort of like how Strax comes to be working for Madame Vastra, which again I won't divulge. But it's sure. uh, it's a nice, it's another night, it's another lovely little scene. Which uh, and uh, do you do, do you three then have a bond now? Then you and Neve Mackintosh and Catherine Stewart, are you, you're like a sort of this sort of funny band of. Uh, who sidekicks? Yes, no, absolutely. Well, so Matt always seems very pleased to see us all. He's like, "Oh, you're back again, great!" You know, which is uh, which is very nice to be welcome back on set. And also, and also, all of our episodes have been directed by the same guy, Saul. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a there's a continuity there in terms of all the stuff that we've been doing. But um, no, it's 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 lovely that you've got this kind of uh, this little yeah Victorian sort of surrogate family for the Doctor. Obviously, with a Christmas episode, it's quite important. But it's nice that there's a little touch point that you can sort of keep on going back to. I suppose it's like the unit family in the seventies, in a funny kind of way. Yeah. But um, no, it's, it's it's a yeah, it's 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 a nice idea that the Doctor might have you know friends scattered all around time, little groups of people that he knows or whatever. So it's kind of a yeah, I think it feeds the, imagi- the imagination quite a bit. And what's Matt Smith like on set then? Um, he's he's a. A, a lot of energy. <laughs> no, I mean, just c- given what his schedule is like, it's it's astonishing um, how you know, sort of genial and amiable he is most of the time. You know, and not to say that he's awful the other part of the time, but you can sort of see that. I mean, we did one day's we did a full eight hours worth of filming one Monday after he had just come back on the Sunday from New York, where they'd been promoting Asylum of the Daleks and so on. So he must have been jet lagged to, to hell. But. Um, you know, did a full day's filming and a you know, couple of moments where he's a little bit subdued, but just keeping keeping going and sort of like um, and being an ambassador for the program as well, like that. It's just you know, my hat goes off to him. I got to say, but um, well, and it was. And it's, 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 also, it's also lovely whenever because we've worked a lot with, sort of, with with child actors on the set as well, and it's lovely how you know. Oh, would you like to see my my sonic screwdriver? You know, he's a great. You know, he is the doctor for them, and it's um, it's really nice. Yeah. And it's your first television. Now it's been, you're quite a sort of ubiquitous. It's it's given you a lot of television. So have you learnt a lot from from doing Doctor Who? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's, it's weird actually, um, because I did Wizards vs Aliens last year, the first series of that, and then I got asked to do an episode of Casualty at extraordinarily short notice. Again, working with Annette Badland, who I do, who I work with in um, 
in Wizards and um, that was the first time I've actually been on television without any performed prosthetics on. <laughs> you know, I'm not solely a prosthetics actor, <laughs> just to hasten to add. But um, it was just really odd suddenly seeing myself on screen without sort of like a lot of <laughs> rubber, <laughs> without a lot of slap on. And thinking, oh, oh, that's actually my face. Oh, that's, that's quite a bit of... I think it was quite strange because we filmed it just after I'd been, you know, three months being Randall Moon, the Hobgoblin, um, on screen. And in, there were one or two sort of little ticks and gurns, I think, uh, owe something to the Hobgoblin in, <laughs> in my performance it's, it's in Casualty. Still vestiges of Hobgoblin. Yes, in, yeah. absolutely. And there's, and there's a lovely line that Annette's character had in Casualty. It's like, uh, William, the one who looks like a creepy hobbit. So, obviously, I think that was even before I was cast. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, you're casting. Oh, well, look, thank you so much for giving us your time, because you've been talking all day, because we were at a convention, so I'm glad oh, you spent some of your downtime doing it all again. Um, so uh, the only beneficiary is, it's not you, sadly, uh, well, the listeners, of course, but also a charity that we ask you to nominate so the listeners can donate. Well, um, the reason I come to be here is because my oldest friend... A fellow called Guy Parker. He works for Leonard Cheshire Disability, and um, the chap who's organised this um, this, uh, this convention, um, Stephen, um, used to be a colleague of his. So I'd like to nominate Leonard Cheshire Disability as my charity. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. And it's the fiftieth anniversary of Doctor Who. I'm delighted to observe you are taking part uh, in on screen this year. Um, so, what is your message to the Doctor Who fans on Doctor Who's fiftieth anniversary? Oh. Uh, It'll be very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dan Starkey, thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Leonard Cheshire Disability is www.lcdisability. LCDisability, or one sort of word thing, .org. And you can follow Dan on Twitter at at StanDarkley. And me at at Toby Haydock. Stephen Elsden of Compaid organised the convention in aid of his charity, so I make no hesitation in asking you to pop by to www.compaid.org.uk www.compaid.org.uk I did another interview at that event, but it's nice to mix it all up a bit, so instead uh, of another new series person, who you will hear from in the future, next time we're going to nip back to discuss six episodes from the Troughton era with someone who has never, ever spoken about Doctor Who in public before. I hope it records well, because uh, you can't necessarily trust the machines. I'm Toby Adok, the thinking woman's nightmare. Goodbye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Starlight Robbery. Sick of the same old slaughter appliances? In need of a killer new killing machine? Then look no further. Garandol Galactic for all your death-dealing needs. What race is it, this hawker of arms? You're Odellian, a breed of scavengers, mercenaries, bottom feeders... If you've got the credits, I've got the kill sticks. Cash buyers get preferential rates. Just name your method of destruction, and we'll have something that fits the bill. Or the kill! 
This individual is a particularly slippery specimen. You do not know me. Forgive me. You see so many faces in this line of work. Was it at a party? You do not know the destroyer of your world, the nemesis of Zabretnik, the Kraken Mother Banara! Ah. It appears to be a commercial. Death to the rooted scum! Glory to Santa! Well done, Mr. Arrowsmith. I... Ah. Bang, bang. You're dead. You're a monster, Carondel. Now she gets it. Santa! Santa! I die for Santa! Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.